Welcome to Torah Rimecha Parsha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Danielle Bloom, and today we'll be studying Parsha's Kisisa. I would like to overview the Parsha and then come away with an understanding of the secret of our eternal existence and indestructible nature. Kisisa begins with God's command to Moshe to conduct a census. As we do not count people in the regular way, each person is instead instructed to contribute half a shekel of silver to the Mishkan, and by counting those coins, the number of people in the nation would be attained. With this, we learn about a few remaining details of the Mishkan. In Paraglam at Aleph, we learn that the main architects of the Mishkan will be Betzalel and Ohaliyav, and then we are taught again about Shabbos. Paraglam at Bays contains what Rabbi Sachs calls high drama, one of the most gripping narratives in the Torah. The people panic because Moshe has not returned from the mountain. They ask Aaron to help them create a replacement for Moshe, and he does. They build a golden calf and dance before it. God tells Moshe to go down. Leich, raid, kishiches amcha. Your people have corrupted themselves. God tells Moshe that he wants to destroy the nation and begin again with him. But Moshe instead prays on the people's behalf. He descends from the mountain carrying the luchos and as he comes close to the camp, he hears the sounds, he becomes angry and he smashes the luchos. He destroys the golden calf and has 3,000 people put to death. He then returns to the mountain to plead with God to forgive the people, and eventually, God does. Moshe prepares a new set of tablets and ascends the mountain for God to re-establish the bris with the people. At this time, Moshe has a vision where God gives him the 13 attributes of mercy. Moshe returns to the people, unaware that his face is now shining. The people are afraid to approach him. And he covers himself with a veil, which he removes only when talking with Hashem. In our class on Parshas Yisro, we discussed the bris that we made with God at Sinai. It's a strict and unforgiving arrangement. For a few examples, in the second of the Debros, we learn, Ki Hashem kel kana, a jealous God, pokeid avonavos al-banim al-shileishim al-ribi'im God will hold us accountable for generations. In the third Debros, we learn, God will not forgive someone who transgresses this command. These are Midos Adin. They are all about punishment and retribution for one who sins. Why would this be the foundation of our bris? Rabbi Liebtag comp- compares our mission to that of fighter pilots. If a person wants to fly jets, he understands the significance of his job. He comprehends that even one error will be too many, not just because of the money invested in him, but his very life and those of others are at risk as well. We need to understand that all of our actions have consequences. As Stephen Covey says, when you pick up one end of the stick, you pick up the other end. At Sinai, we accepted to be God's fighter pilots. When we accepted this mission to be an Amsagula, not only did it give us personal responsibility, which every human has, but now we accepted responsibility as a nation for the ultimate destiny of the world. As we say, and on the day, by Yom Hahu, Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. When we sin with the eagle in this week's parsha, we deserve to be destroyed. We miserably failed our mission just steps from the starting gate. Therefore, Moshe breaks the luchos. As Rashi explains in Paraglamidala Pasuk Aleph, Moshe, by breaking the luchos, was actually breaking the contract between the nation and God. The luchos habris are analogous to the physical manifestation of our treaty with Hashem. They function as a marriage contract. Moshe breaks the luchos, thereby annulling the marriage. The people now find themselves in a precarious situation. 
They're standing in the desert, but without any bris. And in Paraklamid Gimel, God makes a shocking proposal. He agrees to fulfill bris avos. He will allow Moshe to lead B'nai Yisrael to Eretz Kenan, but without the whole idea for which we began, without bris of Matan Torah. Let's read the Pesukim together. Vayidaber Hashem el Moshe, lech alemizeh. Hashem tells Moshe, go, take this nation that you brought out of Egypt. I want to fulfill the vow I made to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. I promised I would give their children this land. Go get it. I will send an angel before you who will expel the nations that currently live in the land. El Eretz Zavas Chalavudvash. The land of milk and honey. Kilo But I will not be with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people. Pen achelcha badarach. Lest I destroy you on the way. This seems to be what God is saying, right? If you will sin, you will deserve to be destroyed. This relationship cannot work. The people hear this terrible evil. And they are in mourning. According to these instructions, B'nai Israel will enter the land without the Shekhinah, without Hashem. Lo Our whole aspiration of becoming a Goy Kadosh seems like it's over. But Moshe refuses this offer. He tells God that we will not leave the mountain without Hashem. If you are not with us, please, we will not move from here. And it is at this point that Hashem constructs a nubris with us, one that acknowledges the fallibility of man while still maintaining high expectations. God now opens the possibility of mercy. And these psukim from this week's parsha have become foundational in our slichos. Vayomer, ani a'avir koltu v'al panecha v'karasi b'shem Hashem l'fanecha. I will be merciful. And in Paraklamidalid, Vayerit Hashem Ba'anan, Vayisyatsevi Mosham, Vayakrabashem Hashem, Vayavar Hashem Al Panav, Vayikra, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, Vichanun, Erachapaim, Rav Chesed, Vemes, Notzer Chesed, La Alafim, Nose Avon, Vafesha, Vachata'a, Vinake. The thirteen, Midosarachamim. For each descriptor of God that was harsh in Bris Sinai, this new Bris Shloshasrei has a counter-description. Instead of Kel Kana, we have Kel Rachum V'chanun. Instead of Vaychar Api, we have Erech Apayim. And the parallels continue. These verses become the heart of our Yom Kippur prayers. Remember, this is the date upon which our story of forgiveness in our parsha is unfolding. Forever after, this becomes a day of atonement. God, as you forgave us then, please forgive us once again. I'd like to read you a quote from Rabbi Liebteg's article on this topic. These striking parallels, he's talking about the parallels between the Midos in the Asaras Adibros and God's Midos as described here in the Yod Gimel Midos Arachamim, demonstrate that each of the 13 Midos lies in direct contrast to the Midos of the original covenant at Harsinai. These divine attributes of mercy allow the Shekhinah to dwell within Yisrael, even though they may not be worthy. Midas Harachamim allows man to approach God and develop a closer relationship without 
the necessity of immediate punishment for any transgression. This explanation adds extra meaning to our comprehension and appreciation of our recitation of the slichos. Reciting the 13 midos comprises more than just a mystical formula. It's a constant reminder of the conditions of the covenant of the second luchos. God's attributes of mercy, as we have shown, do not guarantee automatic forgiveness. Rather, they enable the possibility of forgiveness. As the Pasuk stated, To be worthy of that mercy, the individual must prove to God his sincerity while accepting upon himself not to repeat his bad ways. God is teaching Moshe how to daven. He wants us to understand that there's a possibility of mercy. We need to accept that we did something wrong. We're trying to say, I want to do better. I'm human. I made a mistake, but I will improve. It's not a magical formula or incantation. The Gemara is speaking to the heart of prayer. It's not something that God needs to listen to. It's something we need to hear. Tefillah in this paradigm becomes a motivator for us to improve our behavior. The whole idea of davening, whether it's going to shul or at home, is that I should be a different person when I'm finished with that process. I need to remind myself, well, what am I doing here? Well, I represent God because I'm Jewish, and that's really hard. But I'm going to try again. I'm going to commit myself once again. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And when that becomes my mindset, of course God's going to give me a new chance. Hashem does not want to punish us. He wants us to keep on working. If that's the way we think, and we're taking upon ourselves to become better, of course Hashem is going to give us, give us another chance. The question that we began with was, what is the secret of our indestructible nature? The answer is now clear. Now that we know that Hashem is Kel Rachum He's our loving Father in Heaven, who is infinitely patient and never gets tired of giving us another chance, that He's Marbeli Sloach, we repeat this mantra over and over and over. We become emboldened to return to Him knowing that he is waiting with open arms. Therefore, it is illogical for a Jew to ever give up hope on himself or in his mission. Hashem is all-merciful, so he will forgive us. And he is all-powerful, which gives us the strength to remain steadfast, even in the face of the most dire circumstances. I'd like to conclude with a quote from Rabbi Sachs, which is focused on Am Keshe Oref. Then he climbs the mountain once again and tries to reestablish the shattered relationship between God and the people. God accepts Moshe's request and tells him to carve two new tablets of stone. At this point, however, Moshe makes a strange demand. And Moshe hurried and knelt to the ground and bowed, and he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, may my Lord go among us, because, key, it is a stiff-necked people, and forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. The difficulty in the verse is obvious. The reason Moshe gives God for forgiving the Israelites is the very trait that God had previously given as a reason to abandon them. How can Moshe use the people's stubbornness as the very reason for God to continue his presence among them? What is the meaning of Moshe's because? May my Lord go among us because it is a stiff-necked people. There is an incredible answer that Rabbi Rabbi Sachs quotes to this question from Rabbi Yitzchak Nissenbaum, who lived and died in the Warsaw Ghetto. And this is what he says. Almighty God, be patient with this people because what is now their greatest flaw will one day be their most heroic quality. They are indeed a stubborn people. When they have everything to thank you for, they complain. 
Mere weeks after hearing your voice, they make a golden calf. But just as now they are stiff-necked in their disobedience, so one day they will be equally stiff-necked in their loyalty. Nations will call on them to assimilate, but they will refuse. Mightier religions will urge them to convert, but they will resist. They will suffer humiliation, persecution, even torture and death just because of the people they belong to and the faith they have. But they will stay true to the covenant their ancestors made with you. They will go to their death saying, Anima Amin, I believe. This is a people awesome in its obstinacy. And though now it is their failing, there will be times far into the future when it will be their noblest strength. Forgive them because they are a stiff-necked people, said Moses, because the time will come when that stubbornness will be not a tragic failing, but a noble and defiant loyalty. And so it came to be. Thank you for learning together with the OU Women's Initiative.